So we've got a prolific true crime author on here today. Is one of his books, The Resurrection of Brian Cockrell. We've got Lee Duffy, The Hole of the Moon down there as well. Hundreds and hundreds of reviews on Amazon. Doing absolutely phenomenal. If anyone's been anyone, this man's done the book. So he's done the books and he knows all of the craziest stories. And before we get into more of how he became a writer, thanks for coming on, Jamie. Thanks oh, for pleasure. Thanks Absolute for hooking pleasure. up with Wildman and be mm. doing his book as well. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much. What, what's your craziest Lee Duffy story? <sighs> My God, there's so many to choose from. Um, I'm interviewing this weekend Lee's last ever last ever victim. Um, Lee broke his jaw three weeks before he died. For what reason? Um, Lee had a knife. And he never used weapons. Um, and basically, the bouncer said, you're out of order, you. But looking back, there were 17 people outside the club waiting to kill him. 17 so, 17. Um, I know, Different people? <coughs> yeah. I know, for I know the same the, reason? Um, no, they were like gangs. I know they were. Obviously, I'm not going to name them. And that was, that was three weeks before he died. Um, um, and basically, Lee... You know, I went back half an hour later and um, all he heard is, now then, and just bang. He said he's, he hit him that hard. He said everything was black. His jaw was swinging. His legs forgot to work. The man was a complete freak. Um, but, you know, he had um, he had a lot of funny ways about him. Um, he, he would very rarely carry money about. Um, you know, Neil Booth said he would literally think everything was for free. Um, you know, he'd walk into pound shops and steal. Uh, you know, like in the olden days, you know, where you trade camels. And um, people, people would say, Lee, you've got to pay for them things. And he just couldn't quite grasp. You know, I think he was like a young boy in a, a man's body. Um, I asked one of his close friends, I said, you know, what was he like as a kid? And he said, Lee was never a kid. Um, you know, even when he was 14, 15, he was... Um, you know, absolute monster. One of the funny stories Brian Crockle told me the other day, he um he basically went round Brian's house and smashed his car. And uh and then his mate said that was Lee, that you know, but don't say I told you. So Brian rang him and said, Lee, have you just smashed my car window? He said, Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, I'll pay for it. He said, You went out with him. I got jealous. I got a bit jealous. You know, like ten-year-old kids. Oh. Um, you know, there's so many stories, and um... so do you want to explain to people watching this who perhaps are new to all this, <clears throat> um, who Brian Cockerell and Lee, what kind of history they had? It's. It, I mean, I'm writing the book at the minute. Once upon a time in Teesside, um, and obviously that sounds like a, a fairy tale story. Um, it sounds like a tall story, but it wasn't. It was very true. Uh, 30 years in Middlesbrough, it was part of um, a generation, an era, if you like. Um, Brian was from Redcar, Lee was from Southbank, and there were two cowboys riding into town on a collision course. Um, you know, and that's how, you know, they had very similar backgrounds. Um, Brian had a horrific childhood. Uh, not many people know, but I, you know, if I if I could choose the childhood out of the two, I would I would pick Lee Duffy's, and Lee's was horrendous. Um, you know, certainly today in two thousand and twenty, 
in my opinion, he would have been put into care. Um, I've not heard much about his child. What happened? <clears throat> um, I've never, I've never said this. Um, I've never said it in books because obviously, I don't want to upset people. Um, you know, people have had to pop at me, and I think, listen, you do not realise the stuff I left out out of respect. Um, it's well known. Um, it's well known in Middlesbrough that Lee Duffy's um, mother, God rest her, was a well-known um, sex worker. Um, so, um, you know, Lee's uncle and um, godfather used to say to me, um, you know, people used to say to him, I've just seen your Brenda on the street corner there. Um, but they couldn't say that to Lee, even his best friends, for obvious reasons. So, basically... Um, you know, that it was just something never spoken about that he grew up with his mum on the game. So as a kid, he'd grow up and he'd have different people, men would be around the house and, like, they'd all call themselves uncle, wouldn't they? No, it was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. She was, um, she was out and she... She was, kept on the streets. Yeah, um, Lee's father was a very intelligent man, um, very well read. He, um... Had a really bad temper, um, but he was very articulate. He would have been your ideal phone a friend on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really, he wouldn't read the Sun or the Mirror. He'd read the Guardian or the, the Daily Te Telegraph. Um, Lee Lee's um, mother had three children um, from two previous relationships. Met Mr. Duffy and um, he, she fell madly in love with him and said, listen, um, if you want to get with me, you've got to ditch the kids. So um, so Lee's mother had, uh, I won't name the names, but um, had a brother and two sisters. Lee was the second oldest, so all in all, there was seven of them. And, um, you know, Middlesbrough's a, re a really rough place to live. Um, and I dare say he came from the most rough, roughest part of Middlesbrough. Um, you know, if you like, if you think of Mike Tyson growing up in the Bronx, um, it was the it was the perfect it was a perfect apprenticeship for the life he chose. It's like a council um, estate. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it, there's there's not much of it left. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to find my words to. To you know, I don't want to upset anyone, but it was um, middle. Yeah, I, I think arguably Middlesbrough's toughest town. Um, you know, Middlesbrough. It's a place for the working class. Um, it's very northern. And Lee's brother, God rest him, gave an interview to the Sun in nineteen ninety three, and it said, basically. Um, we learnt at a very young age that if you wanted something in South Bank, you had to fight. You had to learn to fight. Um, you know, so that was that was. Um, he basically grew up and he was bullied really, really badly. Not many people knew until obviously my books come out. By older guys, obviously. Yeah, um, he was bullied from the age of six to around to around thirteen, um, and then he he got beat up by six lads all about nineteen twenty. <clears throat> in 1979, he got compensation for, what was it, £80, which was a lot of money in them days. Um, and a lot of people said, and he was going to Boston then, that was the first time he changed. Um, 
you know, and he was he went to Borsal when he was seventeen, and he he just became, um, uh, you know, a f ridiculously talented fighter with them, um, you know, and he was just a young kid going around. Um, there was a guy called um, Paul Livo who um, he had a he had a really hard name. He's a few years older than Paul. Um, sorry, Lee. And he, Lee went up to him when he was about 17 and said, Paul, you're the artist in Middlesbrough, aren't you? He said, in a couple of years, I'm going to come looking for you. He went, are you? And Lee just stuck the head on him. Uh, sorry, Paul did. Um, and Lee did suffer. He suffered um, a few a few beatings when he was young. And he went away. He licked his wounds. Um, and when he was about 19, he just developed this monstrous punch. Um, and any anything he hit, he destroyed. That's a natural uh, ability, often training. Oh, he was genetics. He was blessed with genetics. Um, to look at him, he had huge legs, a thin waist, and he went up like a wedge. Like Dolph Lundgren. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, a lot of people say, basically, to describe him as um, Dolph Lundgren. Um, I described him in one of them books. Um, Middlesbrough's most well-known boxing promoter, John Spencer, described him and he said, a lot of people think these biggest punches in life are the little squat muscular guys. It's not. He said to me, it's these big, lean, beanpole bean fuckers. And um, Duffy was a lean beanpole. And um, if you think of, how did I describe it as? Thomas Hearns, Deontay Wilder. Yeah, Wilder. Um, Gel McClellan, um, thunderous, murderous punchers who could, you know, Nigel Ben said, when I looked at Gel McClellan, I thought, six foot one, he's skinny. He said, when he punched me, my neck muscles just stretch. And that's what Duffy was like. Um, obviously, he started taking steroids. Um, the biggest lay I ever got was 17, 17 stone nine. Um, and he just had a natural affinity for steroids. A lot of people get fat, um, you know, and Lee just took to it. And um, But with his waist like that, he must have literally just been like he that. Went up, he went up like a cobra, apparently. Yeah. Um, he used to do this thing with his waist where he would check that he was obsessed um, about getting fat. Um, he would... He couldn't, he would wear, you know, someone told me his best friend said the reason he wore shorts all the time was his legs were that big. Um, they were always really tight around here, but really big on the on the waist. I could imagine, um, yeah. You know, big back, huge hands, um, and the kid had no fear. You know, Newcastle, I think is maybe England's sixth biggest city in, in England. Um, you know, and he went on his own and that was the most scary thing. He just basically went into the tough city of Newcastle and said, you know, where's he demanded to fight Viv Graham. the hardest. And then when he was not fighting, he was going around embarrassing him, knocking his bouncers out, yeah. almost goading him. Um, you know, I mean, I say, you know, Paul Venice is going to play Sears, um, it's going to play Lee in the Sears film next year. Um, and I think that is a film producer's dream. Someone in the next three to five years, your guy Richie's is just going to go, 
you know, I mean, and I know you, Sean, being taunting you, and you're really obsessed with this, this. You know, you're quite intrigued in the story. Yeah. And, um, you know, who is this young kid? Who the hell is this young kid? You know, it caused so much mayhem, chaos, destruction. Um, he's just a one-off. Whether whether you think he epitomised everything that was evil, where you knew him and, you know, there's a different side to him, that man's name in Middlesbrough in the North East won't be forgot about in his lifetime. There was three main cowboys at the time, weren't there? There was just like... Duffy... Viv Graham mm. and the big guy, really. Because mm. you heard about him years ago, didn't you? Yeah, I heard about him in Accrington in 1992. And you even gave me a book about him? Mm. About the battle between Viv Graham and Lee Duff. You gave me a book like when, when we got out of prison about I, him. I was intrigued because back then, because I knew about all the Battle to the Death or something, I think it was that. called. But I, like, while I was in Accrington, I'm hearing about this name and... Mm. and you know, I've got people telling me, and not just people from Newcastle, people from Hartlepool, people from everywhere, and they all, they all had a lot of love. Mm. A lot of people said Viv Graham was a bully. They'd say <coughs> Lee could be, but he, he was a nice person. But mainly the big guy himself, he's Brian. He, he, a lot of people said he was a good guy. Mm. Uh, like, like almost like a lovable rogue. Yeah, my take on it is, I live close by. Um, one of Lee's close friends and one of Brian's, and he said, if I had to walk into a door and fight Lee Duffy or fight Brian Cockrell, no disrespect, Brian Cockrell, but Brian was a nicer man. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, he was um a roaring lie, and he was you know. If he had a headlock, it would be frightening to think of the damage, what he could do to you in 10, 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, but Brian would have probably felt sorry for you where Duffy had that. No um, mercy. Duffy was really, in a fighting sense, bad to the core, and he really wanted to hurt you. He would punch you, and he wouldn't aim for your nose. He'd aim for the back of your head. Um, you know, and I, I boxed as a kid, um, met a lot of talented boxers and, you know, I met some lads. They've got all the talent in the world, but they haven't got that bit of nastiness where there's some lads, um, they've got no talent, but they've got that yeah. nasty streak. Duffy had both. But he thought everything through, so didn't he? And then Brian was saying when they finally teamed up mm. and they'd go taxing doors, it always was <coughs> Brian going in first and Lee behind. That's because if anything comes out, mm. Brian, Brian was the shield. Brian was the shield. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he was um he, he was had quite thought out. He was quite um what's the word? Meticulous. He was quite um like military position in his plan. Yeah. It know, wasn't just there and then on the scene. The difference between Viv Graham and Duffy was uh Viv grew up in like a little countryside um and he was quite green. Yeah. Where Duffy was um, streetwise beyond his years. So did Viv grow up in like, a, I wouldn't say a middle class, but not a council estate environment? I mean, I mean, this might be wrong, but I think it's called Rowlands. It's, um, Sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's on the outskirts of Newcastle, but it's quite like fieldy. And, yeah, yeah. 
where Rural. yeah, Duffy was just dragged up. Yeah, um, yeah, council estate. You know, these young, you, you know, he, he'd be beating the shit out of on a daily basis. And, um, you know, that man had um, a terrible, terrible childhood. He really, really did. Um, there's a lot of stuff I left out of the book. Um, out, of, out of respect for the family. And um, obviously a few have had a go at me and I thought, if you only knew, you know, what I left out... And this is not hearsay. I've sat with. Well, if you know, I've you know with, the I've truth. I've sat with police officers. You should be able to tell. I've sat with family. solicitors. I've sat with people like um, the court clerks. Yeah. And you know, um, you know, it's um, what that young kid did in Canada. He was twenty six when he died. Um, it's too young, isn't it? His life hadn't even started yet. I mean, I'm I'm forty now. I'm not far enough old enough to be his dad. Um, you know, and uh, listen, you know, 26-year-old kids these days are at home getting tucked in off the mum. That mm-hmm. guy was um, in 20, 26 months, he was in, and this is factual, he was in 26 different prisons, um, strange ways, Walton, and he would go and seek out um, who was the who? hardest, you know, and just bang. You know, yeah. he was um, awesome, absolutely awesome. One fact I will give you, and I spoke to um, a retired police officer, and he told me, he said, in the last 16 months of lead of his life, we had 96 separate complaints. Wow. He, he said, if that's not a one-man crown wave, I don't know what is. Grief. What was the worst stuff he was doing in those complaints, do you know? Breaking people's jaws for fun. Just for fun? Were they people he was taxing or just randoms? Both. Both? At the end it was both. And was that, do you think, because he started to get on the drugs and his mind got a bit twisted? At the end of his life, he was totally disorientated, delusional. He... You know, he'd be smoking crack pipes on a morning. I spoke to a friend. He died on a Saturday stroke Sunday, early hours. And he went into his house on the Monday. um, And he woke up, jumped out of his skin because he thought this person was about to kill him. And then... Immediately picked a crack pipe up. Mm. So that was his life. Um, he'd walk into nightclubs, pubs, and he'd be that paranoid, and he'd just knock five bouncers out. You know, he was he, he was out of. You've got at the end of the day, you've got this young kid who was in control of the rough town of Middlesbrough, but not in control of himself. You've researched this so much, you know all the details. Can you take us through the last day of his life? He'd been out drinking with gangster gangster friends, allegedly. And he, you know, he he just... I mean, his best friend was Neil Booth, and they'd been out the night before. Um, Neil's one of my really extremely close friends now. The, You know, it's been worth doing the Lee Duffy books to meet him. 
And, you know, my next book's dedicated to him because the guy's had, um, he just lost his son. Mm. He's had um, an horrific last couple of months. Um, and basically, I mean, Neil Boo's 50 year old now and he's absolutely crackers. If I rang him up and said, do you want to go ram raiding and then we'll go to a crack house and then we'll go to a brothel? He'd say, yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> There's no boundaries with the man. And What's wrong with that? Sounds like Sounds like us. You And he's 50 year old now. And I think if you were still like that, a 50 year old, what were you like when you were 19, 20, 21? Running, no boundaries running whatsoever. About with Duffy. Neil was wrote off, so that must really take something. And basically, Lee was out. They'd been in nightclubs. His autopsy, his body, they found champagne. He'd been drinking Black Russians, whatever that is. It's vodka, Kalula. And coke. Coca Cola, not cocaine. Cannabis, cocaine, and monstrous amounts of ecstasy were in his system. No food, no kebabs, I don't know. He. Um, no stossies. The, co the coroner's report. <laughs> the, coron the coroner's report said we've never known a man to take so much ecstasy not to die. Or take an overdose. And if he hadn't died at 3.55 on August the 25th, 1991, he was due to be in Edinburgh at some all-day rave with his friend Lee Harrison, God rest him. So the guy, that just shows the level of party, party, party. And it was just all about the music, the sex, the power, the women, the the drugs, you know. And basically, when he died, it was an end of an era for Middlesbrough. Um, he, you know, he'd he'd just been out partying. I I've sat and spoke to people who watched that fight, and they said he'd been up for days. That wasn't him fighting, you know. He'd basically he'd been shot in the knee. December the 27th, 1990. Five weeks later, he was shot in the foot. He had part of his foot blown off in January the 31st, 1991. Didn't the gun go off by accident on that one? They were wrestling. Yeah. And he pointed it to his foot. That guy has had a lot of research and he's now registered blind. There's a lot of things that people did with Duffy that Karma's kind of come back and gone, which I'll, <clears throat> which I'll explain. But... A lot of them are probably witness protection too, at least to be fair. Like. Yeah, he, um, and then he had the petal pod on him in... <sighs> oh, that's nasty, that man. April the 28th, 1991. Are they from people he taxed or something? Allegedly, the guy, well, the guy, this is what the guy told me. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Pat, trying to set someone fire. It's the worst death ever, that. He went into, really pissed he someone went into off a pub someone to do that. And he actually asked Lee for a father. He never, he never, he said he'd give him three quid. So Lee gave him the money to buy the petrol. Fucking hell. So this guy went out, came back, chucked the petrol over Lee. Um, this girl had one 
in a wheelchair. She'd have got it as well. But this is how much of a six sense lead off he had because rather than attack him straight away, he ran out the pub, stripped all his clothes off, ran back in. By this time, the guy, basically, the guy had meant to set the match, set him on fire, but the match just got wet. So Lee's caught him at the back door. I've seen this guy um, and basically all his bottom teeth are missing his jaw. He looked like a train had hit him. He had that coming off of being a shit house, man. You don't throw petrol on a guy, man. Yeah, it would have been. That. But that guy Sad said was he was bullying his brother for weeks, taxing him. Well, fighting one on one. That was that guy meant business. Yeah, and Lee basically punched that man with an inch of his life. I don't fucking blame him. When he was out on the floor, he turned to Neil Booth and said, "Are you just going to let him do that?" So this is where Duffy was quite clever. Yeah. Because now he's thinking, I've just killed that guy. He's dead. But if his best mate Neil Booth puts a boot on him on a foot. Instead of him getting 20 years for life, he's probably going to get a joint venture. Yeah. Probably get 10 years. So luckily, <laughs> Neil didn't do that. So that other witnesses have told people have watched that. Um, miraculously, that Lee got arrested for breaking the guy's jaw. The guy got arrested as well. And if that's, you know, I'm, I'm filming the Lee Duffy Too Far Too Soon documentary next week. Filming it in the pub. That was Lee's local. That's self-defence, surely. Did the guy was. get charged with the petrol? Was trying to set him on fire? He got charged, but he wasn't convicted because Lee died. It was all dropped um, the year after. He should have got charged for attempted murder. Lee should have got out of, if any charge at all, GBH, but with, like, you know, the fact that... It, it was, it was self-defence. Someone throws petrol on you, man. There's only You're entitled to knock them out, aren't you? Fucking right. <laughs> You're entitled to kill the fuckers, man. Yeah. I'd hate that. <clears throat> that happened in April 91. He died August the 25th. But what I know was he was due to be in court that year, August, sorry, October 1991. He was on bail for threats to kill. He was on jail, he was on remand, sorry, he was on bail for breaking that guy's jaw, he was on bail for breaking a guy called Peter Wilson's neck, and then he was also on bail for perverting the course of justice because he said to that guy who he'd broke his neck, if I give you two and a half grand, drop the charges. So when he died... He was on bail for four really serious offences. You know why they bailed him four times? Because what they wanted to do, basically, is when he did go caught, fucking throw him a whole lot of fucking... In Middlesbrough, there's a theory that the police kept giving him bail and chucked him back out on the street. Knowing that he's going to do something? Knowing that everyone was out to kill him left, right and centre. But I spoke to... um, a former detective sergeant. And he said to me, 
he said, we'd done our job by putting him in front of the courts. Basically, people went in up a court to prosecute. The witnesses were scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kept getting bail. He kept, you know, he was in, he was in, um, he was in Durham prison for two weeks. He goes, he goes judging chambers. Now he's a true story. When he was, when he was on bail <clears throat> for them two weeks in April nineteen ninety one, in that prison was the Blythe men who shot him in the December. Paul Bryan and co, Paddy Maloney's mate, who, and all his gang, lots of them, were arrested, charged with the conspiracy uh, kill Lee Duffy. They were on remand. The Birmingham men were arrested, charged, with shooting Lee's foot. And then, in the April, the guy who pulled the petrol... So there was kind of like four different parties. Hell. And I spoke to Paul Bryan the other week, and many people say, in a Stephen Richards book, it says that Lee Duffy was put on the protection wing for his own safety. Paul Bryan was one of the, I think it was nine or 12, 12 people trying to kill Lee Duffy in that prison. And he said to me, crap. He said Lee Duffy was put in solitary confinement for our safety because he would have just walked on the landing and fought the whole wow, landing. Wow. He was ridiculously, you know, and um, and that was one of them. That came from his own mouth. And in prison, you haven't got no guns or shit. You haven't got no petrol. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? You've got to get yours. You know, I have a theory that Lee, if he'd, uh, if he'd have not died in the August... He was, he was twenty six, and when he sent when he was sent down, he was coming out in his thirties. There's no question. Even if the jury believed his side and he broke that bouncer's neck because he started on him, you're not allowed to go around breaking people's necks. He was getting double figures for everything he'd done. Yeah. So, you know, basically, yes, prisons are a horrible dangerous, wicked environment. But, saves your life, though, at times. But the chances of him being stabbed, shot, having petal poured on him were very, you know, like next to nothing. Yeah. So I think that maybe, you know, I I know, I spoke to people who he's cried, they've cried, Lee's cried in front of them and said... I'm so fed up because everyone else in Middlesbrough can go out and have a fight. And he gets forgotten about. He said, people are out now, left, right and centre, wanting to kill me. Everywhere I go, people are out to kill me. I want to get out of this life. He went to see a priest three weeks before he died. And the priest gave him a letter saying, you're a, you've got a good heart, you're a good guy. He was doing a lot of bad things. Um... And basically, this letter is still about today. I know people who've seen it. You know, it's 26. Middlesbrough, I know people who had parties like the Queen died. Yeah. Sorry, do you know the June, like Prince Charles? Yeah, and the Jubilee. Married? And people were celebrating the death. And I put it in that book. You know, I wondered how many 
people. He was in in the, the murder trial. He was described in court as Teesside's figure of evil. Supreme evil was the exact words what the the um, the QC used. And yeah, you know, I think I think his mother said they brought too much of these passed up. Um, and not the guys, you know, they basically painted a guy of this bad guy. He, listen, he, he did he did do some monstrous wicked things and I can't paper up the cracks. I can't insult anyone's intelligence. But at the end of the day, he might have turned his life around and I think celebrating the death of any young kid is um, beyond words. So how did he actually die? Stabbing back in the year, wasn't it? Right, I've read the autopsy report. People are saying he was stabbed seven times and that he wasn't. He was stabbed four times. Yeah. How did he get in that situation? He turned up at the Western Afro-Caribbean Centre in Middlesbrough, 2.45. Witnesses told me immediately, everyone, the, there was no... You know, there was no... Nice feeling anymore. He poisoned the atmosphere. He was turned up. Imagine, I mean, like, no disrespect, but imagine being Afro-Caribbean and a lot of them were black, right? Yes, that's right. And, so um, him walking in white, he's not going to Dolph Lundgren walks yeah. in. He turns up, six foot four, flat nose, telling people, move, get out my way. Okay, then. <laughs> and a bad atmosphere is clocked straight away. Everyone detects that there's something about to kick off. Yeah. So the guy um, in question, they get into an argument with Lee. Heated words were discussion. They were calling each other names. And one man, I won't name him, went outside and watched the fight. There was, there was two fights. Um, and in that first fight, the guy he was fighting with was a guy called David Allison alone. He had he had a knuckle duster on as well, and he is one. You know, he he's um he's quite infamous in himself. He's he's a huge name in Middlesbrough. A guy who, you know, when basically the hard men in the the big names in Britain like Paul Sykes and Viv Graham, a handy Jamaican, were, were were running terrified of of Lee Duffy. David Allison was a guy, win, lose, or draw, who would have had a do with him. Yeah. He used to turn up at places on purpose, knowing that Lee would be there, and, and he'd, he'd say, right, I fucking, you know, and he'd, they had a few do's over the year, over the years. And basically, the first fight, the eyewitness told me that it was an annihilation. You know, Duffy had been up for two days. He, you know, he had a bit of a limp. His knee was shot. But yeah. he was just, you know, he was um, so just out of this world. For he had a fucking hole in his foot as well, for didn't fighting. he? fighting. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, he couldn't move about like he once could have done. Yeah. And there was only really one person in that fight. It was broke up for six to seven minutes is what the witnesses told me. And all the people now had clicked on that there was some kind of altercation outside. So everyone was going outside. Lee was sat on the wall and he took his top off. He was wiping his sweat down. 
And there was crowds by then, and the guy, apparently, this is what I've been told, put the knuckle duster on, came through the crowd, walloped Lee, and I spoke to people who watched seen Lee in his coffin, and they said it had like um, he had bruises. That's where the knuckle duster. Yeah, you, and I, I think I have no doubt in my research that that more than likely fractured his skull. Oh yeah, most definitely. Because. After that, you know, once before that, he was, you know, shots and moving and talking back and saying, I already beat you once and you couldn't beat me with your knuckle duster. Where now he was delusional, he was wobbly, he was asking his friend for help. And the knife was um, produced. And if you put your right arm under your left arm, yeah. There's... Um, like you made an artery, isn't it? Yeah. That... <clears throat> I, I spoke to people the next day who seen his blood and they said that it was bright orange and the doctors said the reason that was bright orange, it was the most purest to his heart. Ah, right. So, obviously, he was high as a kite and he was on anyth on everything. Um, he'd already been stabbed in the back by one of the guy he was fighting with. Well, that that's never a shit out of trick, anyway. Yeah, that was, um, he never come out and caught that, but I've seen the autopsy report. He was stabbed yeah. in the back. When he was fatally wounded, he was stabbed there. He ran off instantly. People told me that the blood, it was, I've seen a police picture that the blood is all around one side and it's not, so that's how they're pinpointed to where exactly he so was you know he stabbed. This, that side. And um and he ran off screaming for help and the pathologist said in the report that effectively if he'd have stood still and went like that, he just he wouldn't have lost much much blood. But because he ran off screaming for help, he's literally caused his own death. Well, he's not in his right mind as thought anyway, because he's already... Because I've spoke to doctors and I've looked into this exact wound and when that happens, you've got five to 60 minutes to live. And again, after he was, he had another stab wound to the leg and one in the hip. So what are you supposed to do? Just literally hold it like that? Apparently, what he should have done was just stay there like that. Yeah. But he's got concussion, he's not going to think straight. But I've spoke to a police officer who was kind of, he got the call, he was he was off duty, <clears throat> but he was on, like, um, you know, if anything happened, he, he was going to go in. So he got the phone call about half four. I won't name his name, but he's retired now, and he was a high ranking. You need to get down, Middlesbrough Police Station, Dunham Street, because Lee Duffy's dead. So this police officer... Had, uh, had been tracking Lee Duffy for years. Yeah. He sat up in bed with his wife and he was like, you never guess what, Lee Duffy's dead. His wife didn't know he was, but this police officer's come home every single day trying to put Lee Duffy away. So it's almost like she feels like she knows him. Was he made up or was he actually upset? He was quite upset. Um, so he basically, he was sat in the bed and he was like, this is as big as my career gets. And he basically went on to work... 
he went to work for the regional crime, crime squad. For He had a career in the police for 30-something years. So the higher he went, the more bent he got. And he said to me, in all my police career, I never met a unique criminal as, as big as Duffy. And I met, and I'm not going to name him, but he told me some people that he put yeah. away. Um, obviously, turned up at the scene. Everyone's off the red, so we couldn't really interview him. Bailed a few. And then the next thing was to secure Lee's body, which was in the old Middlesbrough General Hospital. And he said, when he went in, he said he'd seen this young kid, a big man, and I mean a big man, full of tattoos, full of shoulders. And he looked at him, and he had the stab wounds on his, you know, he had a towel covering himself. And he just sat looking at him, thinking of all the times he'd interviewed him, you know, yeah. and he'd sat there in front of him saying, no comment. But he said, do you know what? He said... And all the times I was trying to put him away, Lee used to say to him, listen, you're the good guys, I'm the bad guys, you've got a job to do, it's cat and mouse. But he was very respectful. Yeah, you he, know, did, he did dislike the police. Yeah. And the police, he was actually kind of quite articulate in his, and they said, you know what, we actually, we used to kind of respect him, you know, because he, he wouldn't swear, he actually didn't swear. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, you've seen the pictures of him, six foot four, hair combed back, and he's, he wasn't actually what they expected. Yeah. You know, and then um, that the, the, Cleveland, the Cleveland police were just like, whoa, we've got Duffy in. And one one police officer, have you seen The Jungle Book? No, Moogly and all that. <laughs> Do you remember Shere Khan? Yeah, Tiger, yeah, yeah. I've, who, seen, who, I've seen who, the like, articulate. And he said, yes, how delightful. And, yeah. You know, and I'm going to let you run because I'm going to give you a sport and chance. He said he was like that. You know, and he, and he, <laughs> and he, he you know, and he, he, yeah. <laughs> he, um, they thought, basically, they were going to interview some kind of caveman. And, and he, and he was the opposite that way, so. to that. That's what they've told me. Yeah. And, you know, if you go in Middlesbrough now, he's almost like... Um, Folk legend. Oh, Robin Hood. Yeah. You know, he's um what I'm writing once upon a time in Teesside now, which is done with Brian Cockrell, his his memoirs on him. I like that because it actually sounds like if it's gonna be a comedy, but it's far from comedy, isn't it? Yeah. And he said, you know, he said when he'd walk on the estate from all the kids had run about and like he was some kind of celebrity. Yeah. And he'd give them money and then when he was on bail all these young kids would nick off school and there'd be like 30 in the gallery just wait. It was just like, do you know what I mean? It Get was, a few yeah. shillings away yeah. often. And again, you know, it's a very tragic, harrowing tale. And some of the things that I've, I've heard, I've sat, some of the things I can never, never repeat. Some things were sprayed on motorways about him. Some things the police told me, what it was alleged, you know. I'm, I will never release things like that because it's not fair. I'm not here to slit a dead man. I'm not going to glamorise it. He's not here to defend himself. So it's, I mean, I've just finished the Paul Sykes, Paul Sykes book, Final Agony. And I've spoke to a police officer 
They've told, they've looked at Paul Sykes' criminal record and said, wow, 200 plus. It was pretty impressive. But the facts are, he was never convicted of any sexual crimes. You know, he was, and that's just a fact. But this screw, he wanted to talk to me for the last book, but he was still working. He's done 30 years in Amley, and then he wanted to talk to me the other week. And then he said, no, I'm not going to give that bastard anymore. No, not, you know, he was a prison rapist and all this. This was a screw. And I said, do you want to put your side across? But then I sat with the man and he said, Paul Sykes beat him up three times. Not in prison, outside. So He's not going to have a positive word to say, is so, he? So, you know, you what's, know what the, what's the worst thing anyone can, you know, it's either a prison... Yeah, grass or a, a nonce or a rapist or something. And, you know, I'm just dealing in facts. And, and I've really, really extremely... Uh, one thing I do is I really... You can't go to the prison officer who's been beat up three times by him and get the truth, can you? Yeah, um, I'm just looking it's at... I'm looking at the, the facts. And I spoke to several police. Wait for this guy I spoke to the week. He's given me 20 pages and the book is worth... Um, reading for his alone and I was like wow I can't even believe you're talking to me and it, this guy was like you know the other it was like a relationship fish yeah. and chips cat and dog man and wife I'm going to look up Paul Sykes and I actually don't know yeah, nothing about um, do you want to tell the people who Paul Sykes <coughs> is and how he died Paul Sykes was the reason I became an author he I someone texted me in 2012 a guy who lived on the corner me called John Williams. Um, he's basically said, when you get a minute, go on YouTube and type in Paul Sykes. And I've always been fascinated with Jack the Ripper, the craze. You know, any kind of true crime. I don't glamorise it. I like to understand what makes someone like that. Yeah. So I basically had a look on YouTube. You watched the documentary the other night. Yeah. And I was just like, Wow. I don't often swear, but I was like, what the fuck have I just watched? <laughs> this is amazing. I'll have to watch it. I haven't... I've heard of him, but I don't know nothing about him. It's the most him, amazing I mean? thing I've ever watched. I've probably watched it about 108 times. So I watch it again, and I watch it again. And then I thought, I need to know about this man. So I read his book. His book was called Sweet Agony. And it was like rocking our shit, because it was out of print... And I've seen them going for like 300 quid. I managed to get one for 45 quid. And I wanted to know... For what a book? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I wanted to know what happened to him. But that book, iconic book, Sweet Agony, is only from 1978 to 19... No, sorry. March 1977 to June 1979. Uh, so it's like a vintage. So I thought... I spent three years, kind of, you know, when I was working on... I told you yesterday, working on building sites. And uh, after six months, I was working work with someone. I was like, I picked his Yorkshire accent straight up away. And I was like, where are you from? You're I was like, fuck off. Really? And I just want to talk with him all day. And um, I was like that for three years. And then basically, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. All, all that's needed is a dictaphone. It can't be that hard. I've got no experience in writing. But I thought, a fucking monkey could do it. All I need to do was go and dig out the people and 
get the right ones and record them, put it into a book. That's how I started. So, um, Paul Sykes did the Sweet Agony. I did the Unfinished Agony. Then I did a Fervor Agony. And then I did a Final well, final Agony. So, after I did them books, a couple of months after, my publishers rang me. And they said, you're not going to believe this. Western Edge Pictures have been in touch to buy your books. I was like, piss off. I was like, yeah, right. And they were like, no, no, really? They want to make it. Sweet Agony, Unfinished Agony, Fervor Agony. Mould them together and make this multi-million pound Trilogy. film. So, write the script. And I was like, nah. And I was, you know. And um, But to go back to your question, Sean, I was just jumping it there. Was... Paul Sykes, um, he basically grew up with a sadistic parent, an emotionally detached mother, a sadistically cruel father, father who was an ex-army, um, what was he? Box, uh, he was in the army, he was, a, he was a screw in Wandsworth, and he basically made his son become a boxer at a seven-year-old and he used to beat him up he'd go up and hit him in the belly and he'd say there you go that'll make you a man and it you know and it was what are you on now 46 in the 50s it was like you know it was just accepted that your dad could beat you up and um he you get a clip round the head but i wouldn't get anything like that a lot of people think that all these mad people of like fucking gangsters and stuff have come from a crazy family. I come from a really me and Sean come from really, really normal, lovable families. Like they loved us. You know, my mum and dad kicked me out with sixteen. That's only because I was a cunt. I was a complete and utter cunt. You know what I mean? I'd get a trifle and put it in my mum's face just for a fucking laugh. It was just like fucking I was just an asshole. And they threw me out for a reason, but they let me back in. And it's just like, there's a lot of people who come from, like, abusive families. And I'm I'm trying to work out what's the ratio between that and the likes of us who come from normal families totally. I think out of people we've interviewed, there's been abuse, childhood abuse, Majority, violence, sex, sexual abuse. Um and behind a lot of the majority of crime is that there's an abuse story somehow. I'm kind of confused because I've got no excuse to be the way I am, really. You know what I mean? I should be normal. All my brothers were normal. Yeah. Blame Sean. <laughs> so, Touché. Paul Sykes became a boxer and basically, be careful what you wish for because his father, who wanted the son who could fight, who was a boxer, who was good at everything, running, swimming. He became a six-foot-three, strapping, powerful monster, uncontrollable, wild kid. He'll punch you in the belly, Dad. He was that wild that when he was 17, I mean, he first went to Wakefield Monster Mansion, which is for 21-year-olds. Yeah. He was that uncontrollable. He was put in. Monster Mansion. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> you know, the, the worst of literally the... Fred... Uh, who else was there? Harold Shipman. This just literally the totally uncontrollable. Bob Morty's there in a glass cage. Fucking hell, lad. So, and basically, by the age of 1990... Sorry, by the year 1990, he'd spent... 
21 years out of 26 in prison, became institutionalised, got out of prison, 1977, at the age of 30, nearly 31, and become a professional boxer, four for the British, four for the Commonwealth, and, but, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd put a lot of negativity, and I get a lot of hate in Wakefield because I'm seen as I... I dug up the, the ghost of Paul Sykes. <laughs> and I understand, you know, maybe this one day the city of Wakefield will forgive me. But, you know, it was just something like, um, I had to do it. I was just like, wow. Well, and fuck that, him if you don't. You've got to have a take the story or like so, it. You know so what I mean? anyway, um, he done really well, but the best years, the best prime years of Paul Sykes' life was eaten by the locusts in prison and... He'd sparred with Joe Fraser and Thomas Haynes, George Foreman, Michael Spinks. He could have actually done something, but he was just too late and he went back in prison. He was due to fight Lenny McLean. The week before, he ended up fighting um, bouncers, got a cut. Lenny McLean fought um, Kevin Paddock, who was really just... A fat middleweight. Is that what Lenny was the governor? Yeah, and he lost that fight. So if Kevin Paddock, who was kind of an average unlicensed fighter, beat him with ease, what would a fully blown heavyweight like Paul Sykes done? Yeah. Sykes was known as the most violent, dangerous criminal in the 70s and the 80s. Steve Bunce said to me, to call him a notorious thug, was a compliment. Um, he just fought everyone. He, he. I spoke to an eyewitness who told me he, he put it on Charles Bronson and made Charles Bronson stare at the wall. Look at hell. So if you move, I'm gonna. I mean, you've got the guest on, Clyde Broughton. He's he's done his book. Clyde was there. Um, Paul Sykes had. I left out the book because obviously I've done the Roy Shaw book and um, it was respect for the Shaw family. But I've spoke to prison officers who broke the fight up. Paul Sykes had two fights with Roy Shaw and it ended within like 13 seconds. When the guy who you've got on in a couple of weeks, Clyde Broughton, when he asked Roy Shaw about it, 2003, 2005, he said, oh, Paul Sykes was too big for me. This guy was just... You know, he just hated, if anything, authority. But the most crazy thing is, he had A-levels, he had O-levels, he had a degree. He he had, um, I said yesterday, he had an education school teachers couldn't hold a torch to. But he just had a love for just going around punching people's lights out. Six foot three, huge guy, ridiculously strong. Brian Cocker was going to go meet him at one point. There was a deck collecting. Sykes had, was on a slide. Um, and basically, I I really get where the film producers... I spoke to the guy... <clears throat> I spoke to the guy who was going to play Paul Sykes. And from the ages of... Sorry, from the years 2002 to 2007, when Cinderella... When the, it was like the midnight... The clock struck 12 and then everything went back to... <laughs> yeah. Paul Sykes went from the most dangerous, violent thug in Britain to 
a vulnerable, pathetic figure. And the last five years of his life, he lived homeless. Kids used to walk up to him and smash eggs on a daily basis on his eggs, on his head. People used to ask him to shadow box for a pound. Um, ultimate humiliation. How did he go downhill so fast? Because he's an alcoholic um, and he basically was living on the streets. So instead of, you know, being once upon a time 18 stone, he was 10 stone. Beard, eight jackets, walking around full of piss and shit. Why can't fucking alcohol make me lose weight? You know, you see all these alcoholics are skinny as fucking those me, 27 stone. Yeah, he's, um, you know, the kids, the kids would just torture him. And Johnny Nelson said to me, the world champion boxer, and Peter Fury, he said, them kids are used to ridicule him, mock him. Them young kids would have never have had any idea how much that man was capable of doing. It could once install into he's just an absolute monster. He but, could have just bitch slapped him, couldn't he, back in the day, you know what I mean? But it, it is an unbelievable, really, really sad, sad tale. And that Paul Sykes alone made me become an author. I would have written them books for free. Does it do your head in like to go to these dark places? Do you have nightmares? Yeah, it or does it's um I get a lot of um I get a lot of trolls. People never met me. Um, I told you the other day, I've got like, um, I had my nausea bill from boxing and I've been, I've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder now. So some, you know, a lot of people think I'm on drugs, kind of, uh, I'm not, I'm just, you know. I'm not... He sniffs a lot, by the way. He's not on drugs, he's, cause he's, he's telling you now what it is. Yeah, it's. For um... all you trolls say he's doing drugs and all that. No, it's. Fucking get a life, you pricks. Yeah, it's. Go um... fuck you mamas. It's, uh, I've got, and I think it is because, you know, the wife said if, if you can't, if you can't take it, then go get a job in McDonald's or, you know, it's, it's whatever. But I do have to, I do have to go and meet some bad people yeah. to get the stories, people who's, who's been in prison. I agree with them. Yeah. But, you know, what, there wouldn't be any Sean Atwoods about and people are fascinated with, with your Lee Duffy's, your Brian Cockrell's, your Roy Shaw's, Dominic Negus, which I did. People are just really fascinated and want to know. Oh. So he was on Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men, Dominic Negus. What's his story? He was bullied as a kid. He... Yeah, he, uh, he was really bullied. His nickname was the Milky Bar Kid. He used to get... <laughs> He was like a little fat kid with glasses. And he learned how to be a boxer, started working on the doors. And he became arguably one of, well, the London police had him as one of the, the most dangerous men in London. He was a boxer. He fought Audley Harrison, headbutted him, took a load of steroids, got banned for life, fought on the unlicensed scene. Lovely, lovely guy. I went to stay with Dominic for five days. Really interesting character, really bright. When you look at him, what is he? Six foot two, big, you know, he is what he says in the small print. Big, but monstrous guy, can really, really fight. But uh, he's got his own demons and he's, you know, he's like Brian. He's struggling with his um, depression and he's he's trying to come out. And we, we did the book, uh, was it last, last year? It was um, called Into the Light and it was basically him giving an apology, you know, yes, I've kind of been badly behaved, but listen, when you see me in the street, come and give me a cuddle. 
Um, don't be scared of me. I'm not like that. But when you see him and you, you watch his Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men and, you know, you, he was a debt collector. But uh, You eat what you sow, I say. Yeah, he's um, a really intelligent guy, Dominic. And, he, yeah, he's got a lot of regrets. You know, I'd love, I'd love to see him doing podcasts like this because he's, he's really good to listen to. He's suffering from his demons. Ricky Hatton done the forward for the book. Because they're, they're close friends, and obviously it's it's been well publicised that Lee Duffy, uh, not Lee Duffy, Ricky Hatton has obviously had his battles. Yes. And you know Dominic, he's um, he just wants to turn his life around. Have you got a crazy story about Dominic? <sighs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, funny enough, when I went down, obviously everyone knows how scary Dominic Negus is, and I'd been on the drink. For a couple of days. So I turned up at his house. Really terrible of me, really, Dominic. If, you, if you're watching, I really apologise. But I was in Middlesbrough one day drink, uh, drinking. And I got the night bus. So one minute I was boozing with, you know, people in Middlesbrough. And I woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning in Victoria Station, London. I was like, hang on, where the fuck am I? So I turned up at Dominic's house. Really in a state, threw up all over his front garden. <laughs> and uh, it really very generously let me keep my jaw. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think a lot of people would have did that, but he's um, he's, a, he's a really interesting in guy, Dominic. But um, once someone like him went, he really would. Do you know what I mean? He's... Um, There's no switch. Yeah, looking back now, I'm like, you know, I was, yeah. I was, I suppose I was kind of new to it. Do you know what I mean? I, I just had one too many and I thought, I'm on the night bus and then... Next thing I knew, I was in Middlesbrough, and I like, right, get off. And I was like, what am I doing in Middlesbrough? I was 256. What am I doing in London? Hang on, I was in Middlesbrough like a minute ago. Do you know what I mean? You uh, cheeky young bastard in a way, uh, Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. And Dominic was like, you cheeky. And I, I, got, I, got, I, got, I, got, I got his house like that. Oh, mate, can I talk to you tomorrow? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is like really... Can I, really, can I, can I have your couch? <laughs> really, really terrible of me. But... um. Yeah, his book, obviously, he, he wants to shed the demons, and uh, he's a nice guy, Dominic. I've got a lot of love for him. Roy Shaw, you sent me some clips on him. I watched his story where he goes to Malta, starts just fighting everybody. It's crazy, and the biggest gangster on the island is, like, taking him out to dinner. They're all, like, all the all... He's, like, conquered the island, basically. Mm. So what, what was his story, then? I first come across Roy Shaw about 2000, and that was at a time when... The crime books in middle and in Britain went were going absolutely crazy. You had your K Craze, your Bernardo Mahoney's. You know, it was big books with with the true crime. Your football ones, mm. like cars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Mad Frankie Fraser's and all yeah. this. Yeah. So, I, I, anyone seen the the Pretty Boy Roy Shaw book? It's done over a million copies. And the first thing you know about Roy Shaw is his stare. It's a really chilling stare. You know, you've seen his eyes. And and that was, I thought, who the hell's that guy? You know, and it just stuck on my head and I read the book. Um, got in touch with Gary Sykes, uh, not Gary Sykes, Gary Shaw, 2011. I used to do a lot of evening whiffs. My nose was a lot better than I used to do a lot of evening whiffs. Mickey Van, boxing ones, football ones. Um, and basically... <sighs> He used to come over when I was under one of mine, and he wanted to do um he wanted to do a book on his dad because his dad died two thousand twelve and there's been a lot of things written which weren't true, 
Mm-hmm. So... He has the right to put it right, Yeah, he? so that's what he wanted to do. It wasn't a case of money. It was just, you know, a case of, hang on a minute, what a lot of... Fair like, play. You know, so it was... He wanted to put that out there and say, listen, it wasn't like that. So, you know, we, we got together and we did that and it was just basically... Listen, if, if you're going to read about my dad, then at least know the truth. Yeah. And and he's really been brutally honest, Gary. He's, you know, in Roy's book, it doesn't say that Gary Shaw and his sister were brought up in care. Um, a lot of people wouldn't have put that, but Gary did. You know, fair play to him. Roy wasn't going to put it because, you know, it, it, it's not the good thing. Do you know what I mean? No. And Roy Shaw, you're talking about someone who kicked prison cell door not once but twice Doesn't that man that man had death in his eyes um fought Lenny McLean beat him the first fight where he was victorious went fishing no one's ever found it how did he die if you don't mind me asking was there any strange circumstances or was it yeah natural? not many people know and obviously in a couple of weeks you're going to get Gary Sean in a okay. Roy Shaw special but he should we let him tell us then I'll just briefly, I'll just briefly go over it. He All was right. diagnosed with dementia in two thousand and nine, and he really struggled for the last couple of years. The only thing in life Roy Shaw was ever scared of was Friday the Thirteenth. Wouldn't go out, and you know he'd be terrified of it. Anyone who knew Roy Shaw, he'd be like, he'd just stay in his house all day. My cousin was born then. Sean was born on Friday the 13th. Yeah, I got married on Friday the 13th and it's never done me any. <laughs> so, um, so basically, you know, right on Friday the 13th in July 2012, he never left his room all day. He was playing up. People in the care home took the telly off him and he just went to bed. Crazy that, isn't it? He was found a few hours later and, um, and dead, and he died on Friday the 13th. Um, he probably on, gave himself a stroke or a heart attack, panicking that much. Yeah. yeah. A man who's like fearless everywhere is actually scared of an actual day. It's mad, isn't it? People have weird phobias. Yeah, he's. Um, I know when you Google him, it'll say Friday, he died on Friday the 14th, but that's the date that the family. Announced it to the world, but on so a, it'll be the, but, they're not going to announce it there and then, are they? You know what I mean? Died on Friday the 13th. Um, yeah. And Roy Shaw, he was a cat air prisoner for eight years. He used to love being on prison roofs. He, um, you know, he'd been on more roofs than bloody Father Christmas. And he's, he's known as an absolute true crime legend. You've got the craze, and then underneath, you've got. Yeah, your Lenny McLean's, your Freddie Foreman's, your Roy Shaw's, and I know now there's talk that a film's going to happen, and well, you know, it's been suggested that I mean, Kate Cray bought the rights and then she sold it. This is factual. They were going to do it from a book and get you know, I mean, Gary, you're going to do something to say, well, actually, if you want a real true account of what my dad was actually like, read our book, which was Roy Shaw Main Machine. We've got four and a half hours of. Roy's tapes, which I'm going to dive out in the next six and nine months into a book. Who does the most southern books? You no, know, like uh, Mad Freggy Fraser and all them. Is there a particular author? It used to be John Blake, author? but they're not really. There's something else now. They are still about. Yeah. But 
True crime these days. I mean, you can't compete when there's a book for 99 pence. 20 years ago, there wasn't. I know, yeah. And true, you'll know, right? Sean, is when, you know, when Amazon are selling a book for 99 pence, they take 70, 70 pence. So, yeah. what you're better off doing is selling your book for 199 because they'll take 60 pence. That's just, it's you know just what I mean? It's math, isn't it? So, you know, it's the 21st century. I personally like a book, but a lot of people buy um Kindle. Kindles and yeah. it's it's cheaper, it's there's you know, there's no cost, there's no paper, there's no print, no. but you've got to move for the times. I like to read the book and watch the movie because you get you get more detail in the book, but in the movie it's easy to follow. I did it with the rise and the foot soldiers, I did it with like I was into my football hooligism for a while. I did it with like Kez and all that, you know, all that. Green mm. Street, Green Mile, and all that mm. stuff. I've never understood football hooligan. Do you know what I mean? Why? I if, if you want to, if you want to fight, go to a boxing gym or some join the army. And it's just, I've never it's understood. Just I've been asked to do books on them, and I've never it's understood the it. Buzz where you got like fucking fifty, a hundred of you, and they've got the same numbers, and you just like fucking. What I never understood was putting your best clobber on for it, <laughs> putting your best clothes on. Yeah. Go on Go and spending like fucking 180 quid on a Hugo mm. Boss shirt or a Burghouse just to get it fucking ripped off your fucking back in a fight. That I never mm. understood. But I used to like, I used to like it where you're in the, like actually in the ground and they come charging at you and you just get that. Oh, Braveheart. It, it, it's, mm. a, it's a mad feeling. Like, mm. I mean, I, I, I was in for it, I was in trip for a while. I was more rugby violence myself. And it was mainly just against one team, Warrington. But that feeling of just like going in there and like having a load of them around you and just sparking the bigger cunt out, fucking just everyone behind you coming and rushing after him. Oh, God. It's giving me a fucking semi. Hey! What's the craziest of Roy Shaw did? God, Roy, Roy Shaw, I just had madness in his eyes. He, mm. I told you yesterday when we had... He, Roy Shaw's party trick was, and this is true, there's people who know Roy Shaw will be, will be nodding your head, he actually used to eat a pint glass. Okay, all of it. Not like leave a bit. And apparently he used to have a massive you-know-what. And he used to get it out. And he used to put a cigarette in the end of it. And he'd shout lasses over and say, Oi, missus, have you got a life for this? Do you know what I mean? And he That's was funny. he was absolutely huge where Gary said he took off to his mum in that department. But um <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he um he was he was you know, when that song was out, right said Fred, I'm too sexy. Yeah. He used to drive around Essex with a flat that was playing that and he'd drive around, he'd wear these um cycling shorts. But because he was that noticeable big, it was yeah. like ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? He's um, he was certainly a character. And it's like that runner in it on Linford Christie, I think his name. It's some black guy. He he put his shorts on. It's quite his cock was down here. You know, <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It's quite sad because um, there was actually one. The one thing Roy wanted in his life was a film to be dramatized. Uh, you know, his, his his life to be dramatized. Should have come porno and. Danny Dyer, Tamara San, Ray Wins, they were all in on it, right? But Roy didn't quite realise that for these things to happen, there needed to be a script. Yeah, Danny Dyer's fucking overrated, man. So, basically, Roy said, no, no, it's all right, what I'll do, I'll turn up, I'll show you what I did who I knocked out. 
And people, it, it just became absolutely unbearable for the films. And that's why the film yeah. never happened. He, uh, if Brian wasn't schooled right in every other page, he'd be like, I knocked him out and I'd done him or whatever. But, well, Brian's first book, to be honest. I mean, I've told him and I said, I picked it up, read it 2005. 200 knockouts. <laughs> yeah, every 10 pages, he's knocked someone out. And then um, when I when I kind of got a really clue and researched him and I work books on a daily basis, I know the ins and outs, I picked it up. But you need experienced people like yourself. And I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in slagging it. To, to be honest, Steve Rich's defence, who written the book, Brian was that bad on the drugs. Yeah. So he kept putting him off, and he kept putting him off, to the point where they literally did that book for twelve hours in one day. So, you know, it was like <sighs> it was Brian's fault, really, why it wasn't. You know, but I like to. You read that, you know, read any of my books, don't, you know, they, they don't glamorise people. That that young kid, Duffy, he's, he's been pushing up flowers from, from the age of 26. Yeah. What's the message in that? He died before he reached his prime. It's sad. When you think of the young kids, because there's a lot of them in Middlesbrough, you know, they walk about And I don't care what he's fucking on. done. People shouldn't be destroying his grave and stuff like that. Well, I I know for a fact it was that was done four times. That's terrible, man. That's just really disrespectful. And when he died, for two weeks after, they put a 24 hours a day. 14 days they had a police presence on his grave. Mine's in the grave? Was, yeah. There was talk they were going to cement him in. You know, there were people who were going to dig him up and do all these terrible things. You know, all these um, all these people who were... All these drug dealers that had, had kind of hid away could now come out. Shit houses around, he's been fucking sparked by him. So, what, what's the worst thing to do is knock his grave. All that does is disrespect his family and his loved ones. Yeah, it was. Um, I know one. He doesn't give a fuck, does he? Yeah, I know one guy who who um, who was made to do it by certain people. He smashed the grave up. Lee's mother found out actually who it was, went to the guy and said, I actually forgive you. But that guy actually hung himself. I don't blame him. Yeah, he couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't, you know, he, he, I, I don't know, it was maybe because he couldn't live with himself or the fear of repercussions. He should have never done it and he would get repercussions. Mm. How do you hook up with people like the taxmen? How do you decide, like, I'm going to just reach out to Brian and say, look, or... Um, I mean, I grew up around kind of boxing gyms and his name would always be mentioned. And I didn't meet Brian until I was 19. And I was in a, a mutual friend of ours called Liam Henry. And Brian was sat there with the biggest gold chain on I've ever seen. It was <laughs> monstrous. So I was 19, I was a young kid. Me and my mate are in. Brian was probably not far off his prime, like a big, huge silverback gorilla in the corner. So he's eating bamboo shoots and bananas. So anyway... I was sat in the house, it's 15 minutes, I got out and I went, bloody hell, did you see the size of him? You know, it was just like, and I, I never I never seen him again till um, 2003, it was April 2003, it was in a pub called Gilzine's. And uh, in one of the Lee Duffy books by Steve Richards, there was a picture of Brian Cockrell. And one of my mates, Craig Turner, said, oh, there's that bloke in the background, a guy called Brian Flattery, who's dead now, God rest him. 
So I went over to him and I said, are you the bloke from um, the Brian Cockrell picture? Uh, and he went, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, what's he like him? He said, go and ask him who's over there. I was like, really? And I was drunk and I was full of myself with a right cheeky little bastard when I was young. So I went up to him and I was like, oh, and the internet was just taken off then, 2003. And I went up to him and I was like, oh, you're that bloke off the internet, aren't you? Look at that, then he goes puking on people's gardens and just goes... And yeah, and he grabbed, he grabbed my hand, shook it and ran off, not walked off, ran off. And the reason was, there was a big fight kicking off and he, Brian went over and so done, done what Brian Cockrell does. Yeah. So, um... So anyway, basically, that's a couple of years people have said, oh, you've got to do Brian Cockrell's book. Everyone have always, always asked me. So I'd done a book on a certain someone in Middlesbrough and they were friends, they were taxing partners of Brian, but now they'd fell out. And in all my books, it was the only one I ever put as told to Jamie Boyle because there was a guy who had a lot to say. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. Brian, which wasn't very complimentary. So I was like, listen, it's not what to do with me. I thought, I'm not having that fucker come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we did it. And I was like, all right, anyway. And it, you know, it, the first book did quite well. Straight after the Duffy one, in the middle of the books were picking up. But I started hearing messages saying, he's not happy with me and all this. And I was like... I'll try and keep away from him for a couple of years. I don't need this. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it was Brian's ex who, um, sorry, it was this guy who had slagged him off. Yeah. And at, by this point, he was kind of missing him. He said, well, you need to message so-and-so, so-and-so, because that's Brian's girlfriend. So I was like, right, okay. So I messaged him, and and then I got one back saying, you can fuck right off now, I can't stand you. <laughs> uh, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you I, I, I don't like want to know you. you I've got no like time for you and all this. And I was like, whoa. And I was thinking, right, at least I know. I've marked, you've marked my card. And I rang Paddy Maloney on the night. Um, it was last September, and I, I said, what an arrogant bastard that Brian Cockle is. And why? I was telling him. And I said, he doesn't realise a platform I could, you know, anyway. I, f I thought, do you know what? He'll need me before I need him. About five, five days later, phone went. Is this Jamie Boyle? I was like, yeah. And it's Brian Cockle. I went, no, it's not. I said, no, it's fucking not. I was, I forgot how many times I've been fit. And then after about 15 seconds, I realised his voice matched Donald McIntyre. And I went, look, mate, I'm probably not your favourite person, but all I am just an author. Do you know what yeah. I mean? He went, yeah, yeah, I know. So we had a chat and um, he started, he said, oh, yeah, I'll come around on Tuesday. This was a Thursday. And then I thought, oh, great. Oh, fuck. And then I, thought, yeah. then I started thinking, then I started thinking. I wouldn't sleep all weekend. I'd be like, all right, what will I do? Then I started thinking, hang on a minute. What he's going to do? He's going to come. He's going to kidnap me and bury me up. Yeah. So I asked him. Um, As you would think. I asked the guy and I put, look, he's coming on our house. And he went, no, it's not his style, he's not like that. So I'd have to gym to back me up in the kitchen. He come round and he blocked my door out. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was sat with him thinking, you know, and I, I was a bit edgy. <laughs> and um, me fair, like. I'll tell you a true story, what happened. So we were talking and um, he was like, yeah, I'll do a book, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So he got home and he was like, yeah, text me, nice to meet you. And I'm still a bit thinking, you know, he's, he's uh, really sadistic, you know. Well, you're expecting that. Uh, yeah, move. yeah, yeah. You know, I'd rather have been knocked out because he was being nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Killed you with kindness. So, anyway, 
I got this call at like half eleven. Brian Cock, and I was like, he fucking phoned me for half eleven. I've only met him once. And I got a text saying, his girlfriend's dad. Oh, man. I left my house, went home, and found her dead. Fucking hell. Oh, my God. So I was like, nah. And then I started thinking. And then he started, Brian said to me, Brian, I've been with you all day, haven't I? I've been with you. And then I thought, he's done air in. What a book this is. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, if you're listening, but that's what I was thinking. You're the witness told that he was with you. Yeah, and then... Um, but yeah, yeah, and I was thinking, yeah, he's gone home and done her in. And I was like... And uh turns out... We know you wouldn't do that, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really. You're a big teddy bear. You wouldn't harm anyone. So, um, so anyway, turns out she'd died of, you know, natural causes or substance abuse or whatever. Yeah. And um, we've, we've just went on and we produced that book, which is The Resurrection of Brian Cockrell. And I wanted it to be basically the opposite to his first book. You know, it was like, I didn't want to put my name to something, which was, I knocked him out and I was rock hard and I ate some bananas and I swung off trees and I growled at him and, you know. I think people I'm a Neanderthal and, now, I'm a Neanderthal and I just discovered fire and all this and, you know. And um, the one thing I quickly, the first thing I learned about Brian Cockrell, and this is, you know, it's just, I'm being honest. And I was never, you know, I'm... Anyone who knows of me knows I'm, I'm honest and, you know, my publishers, you get contracts and it's all above board and you paid well ease. But I thought, yeah, I switched on you, mate. I thought there's no lying in you and you, you, he's very, yeah. uh, he is, he's quite, um, he's quite astute. And, you know, he's he's not, I mean, James English said to me. He comes off those as like, just well, that first, that guy, first, you know what I mean? The first but documentary he's he got did. a lot more... You know, that first documentary he did, they filmed for 30 hours, 30, 30 hours, and they only showed 56 minutes of it. So, you know, the um, when he's walking around with his vests on and growling at people, that made the best television. So we made a documentary at the start of this year. We made The Resurrection of Brian Cockrell, and basically that puts a different spin on it. That, that, that book and the documentary done what Brian wanted to do 15 years ago. So he actually did 30 hours on that one? Yeah. Donald, Donald, um... The one where he did, like, he goes with, oh... Well, what's the one where he... I've watched the documentary on it, where he he, he goes on about... He ends up with his, his lady friend and, and they go abroad. Donald McIntyre. Oh, is that Donald McIntyre? It's called um, The Taxman, isn't it? McIntyre's Underworld. Yeah. I, mean, I was showing you that years ago, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's became iconic. It's like Paul Sykes at large. It's got it's got three point five million view, uh Sorry, yeah, three point five million. And I mean, you you guys are in the YouTube business, that's um, a frightening, staggering amount. It is, you yeah. know. And listen, I know Brian sometimes doesn't he doesn't like it. Some people use the one liners. It's awesome genetics, isn't it? And all this kind, of, all the stuff he said. But that 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 documentary will outlive him. You know, and it's, it's, um, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, read the trolls, the YouTube comments, and yeah, it's, it's, um, but it really, you know, he was quite well known in Middlesbrough. Anyway, I knew of him from the age of about 15, but, um, that one really kind of made him national. If anyone says anything about Brian Cockrell, I'll slap you, you fucking <laughs> Doyle. 
That's a proper Middlesbrough word. <laughs> Lee Duffy, I'm just doing the book now, and Brian said, Lee Duffy's favourite word was, I'll, I'll slap you off face, you Doyle. Do you know what I mean? It means, what is it? It's, it's just like an idiot. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But it's a very, very Middlesbrough word there. Yeah. So it sounds like out of all of them, Sykes is the one you've been most gripped by. Uh, I'd say Duffy. Do you know something? It's like Duffy. Um, I, I had to think about that for months because obviously I'm not everyone's favourite person. In Do you know when Salman Rushdie wrote, written uh, the Quran, Satanic verses? In oh, yeah, game? people to kill him. Yeah, uh, that's me in Wakefield. Oh, like, fuck, wait for uh, <laughs> Fuck you, else. And, uh, do you know, and it's like, listen, them books, the support rates of charities, do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. it's not my fault Paul Sykes happened, do you know what I mean? But anyway, and I had to really struggle. Best thing about Wayfield is the rugby team in there, yeah. shite. And, uh, you know, Paul uh, Duffy was, I had to think about it for months because I, for most of my life I grew up in Middlesbrough and, you know, it was actually... Um, Lee Duffy's mentor, an old an old fella, elder statesman of Middlesbrough, who's been in the books and that. And he, I interviewed him for a Paul Sykes book, and I just half-heartedly put it to him. I said, "What about, what about um, a Duffy, a Duffy book?" And he was like, "Yeah, great idea. Beginning to do it properly." And I mean, I don't know. You haven't read it yet, have you? You know, but I mean, that's really went mental. You know, that's done ridiculous numbers. That literally made me go from part-time to full-time. You know, I was thinking, I was still working, and I thought, well, hang on a minute, I can actually do this. I can write four books a year. I've done six last year. And that was the one, you know, so I've got a lot of thanks. I've got a lot of thankful for Lee Duffy and, and Paul Sykes. Yeah, it was, a, it was a bold move, taking it on. As I said, you know... But you work hard, though. you got a very... Do you know when I, used to, when I used to go to work? I've got a very bad work ethic. I, I used to go to work Monday to Friday, right? I could go to work, I could get drunk Friday, Saturday, Sunday and just go to work hungover because I didn't have to think about it. But if I'm hungover now, I don't do any work and um, that's why I don't really drink. Like, not, not as much as I used to. And um, basically... That's you know, I work seven days a week. I'm free in the morning, sharing stuff in the house. What you behave and that's what that's what when you you'll know, Sean. When you're in the early days, when you're trying to establish yourself, you've got to be everywhere. And uh, I'd go fit kitchens with my dad. Still yeah. fucking. Well, do you know what? That'd be the easier job. And I wouldn't like seven days a week. I've had people messaging me saying, "Get a proper job and all that." And I'm like, I am. I'm a professional writer. Do you know yeah, what I mean? it's a proper job. You know, and it's like, well... Are you paying his mortgage? Yeah, Fuck off, then. you know what I mean? You don't it's, have to uh, work nine to five nowadays. That's what happens to me. I got out of prison. I'm hanging out with your cousin, Hammy. Every yeah. weekend he's getting, we're getting drunk, ring of bells. Sunday, I can't write. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Mm. The robot programme has to override this. So, so that's why I stopped. There's a happy between, though. <laughs> <laughs> so what a lot of people don't know, Jamie, is that you are a boxer who no, ended up in prison. Uh, when I was young... Uh, that's what's given me the problem with my nose. I need, I need to get it done again. Um, I, I went to a boxing gym when I was 12. It was a flyweight, believe it or not, a few takeaways ago. And, um, yeah, just, you know, I, I mean, I'm in the middle now with a, a friend of mine, Michael Debneff, of, um we're, we're opening a gym up in Stokesley. It's called Stokes, and it's about giving back to the community. Where about in Stokesley? People don't if, know. If, if Stokesley's... It's the last place in North Yorkshire before you get to Middlesbrough. Got ya. A uh, few famous people live there. Chubby Brown's always there. Uh, who else is there? I love yeah, Chubby Brown, yeah. mate. He's, um, 
Yeah, he's um, he's read one of my first books actually. It's funny because I was talking about Lee Duffy when I done my first book because I I used to be a car park attendant in North Allerton. And he used to come every weekend, every Tuesday for six months and we'd talk and all that. And um, Because he's from the next estate, he's from Grangetown, which is the next estate of Lee Duffy. Did he wear his colourful jacket? No, do you know something? Because I'm not really into the swearing and all this. Yeah. But he's the most polite, well-mannered gentleman you'll ever meet. Is he? He's nothing like his routine. And a lot of people shout at him, swear at him and all that. And he's like, whoa, hang on a minute, I'm out. And he's, he's a really, really nice guy. Um, Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a lovely, lovely gentleman. And, yeah, it's, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I had a box of my face, do you know what I mean? I'd win one, lose two, win one, lose three. You know, it was not, but it kept me off the streets. And now, you know, I want to give back. And my son's just gone 13. I want to, you know, get into it. It's a big, big passion of my life. But, uh, well, um, to wait, you're not going to get that hurt either because they haven't, they haven't really got that punch to fucking break your jaw, have they? Uh, every punch hurts. You know, yeah. it does honestly. It's um, what gloves is it? It's six ounce or sixteen? No, six sixteen ounces sparring, but um, oh, right. eight ounce is under welterweight, and after welterweight, it's ten ounce. Ten ounce. And what about flights of bare knuckle? I when they say bare knuckle, all right, the governor. What do they use? Because they just look like fucking mittens. They use. They use nothing. They use um, well, a lot of them use bandages to not break the hands. All oh, right. But uh, yeah, it's, that's not my thing. That it's uh, you know I love football, I love boxing. I can it's boxing. It's a skill. It's an art. It's yeah. Two men trying to outthink each other, outpoint each other. It's like chess, where the the bare knuckle. It's a bit. If that was in my front garden, I'd close the curtains. I ring the police. I chuck them a bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not. I, I, from down I two, think two dogs fucking. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's like it's, I think I think to be into that, you've got to be really, um, you've got to be really violent, and you know, I mean, I said yesterday, you don't I, see anyone with a straight nose, do you? Really, with yeah. a nose job. You should see my picture when I've done. My face is like face. that, and I know when I got it in 2014, they packed my nose up my forehead, and when they ripped it out, it was like they were ripping my brains out. Okay, and oh. and the doctors have said I needed doing again. But I can't cope as I was wrote off for five weeks. Yeah. Got pictures and I'm look like the elephant man. And I've been put it off and I have good days and bad days. You know, I was better yesterday, as you said. Um but you know it's um I know I've met kids in the gym and they've never had a fight in their life, but they'd hit you with six shots before you and the pure skill where they've got I've got kids who no they've no skill, but they're rough and Boxing, you know, it was it was formed by the Marcus Lord Queensbury. Um, Oscar, that was back then, Oscar Wilde, Os- yeah, Oscar Wilde was seeing his son. He got two years in prison for it. He's a reason why Oscar Wilde went to prison. But uh, back in them days, it was the gentlemen's. Do you know what I mean? And it yeah. was all tight underpants and looking like that. And um, yeah, it's it's not. People think it's thuggery, and it's not. It's a, it's a skill. It's an art. Yeah, um, you don't see many handsome box stars. There, there was one from Runcorn. Robin uh, Reed. Robbie Reed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a model and a porn star. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how come you ended up in prison? Uh, do you know something? It was like, when I was young, um, I was 19, I was a daft young kid, and I'm, I've never been a nobody, but I've always been quite game, so this went out and um, full of drink and <sighs> stupid things and... Got involved in a, a big situation. The police, there was 15 pulled out in the ID, 15 of us. 
But there was a girl who went to primary school, picked me out. And the That's pl- like football violence. It was 15. Was I left sick. the pub. I was, no, I didn't. I was on my own. <laughs> but they, they were fighting and I kind of just got into it. Now I'd crossed the road. That's not a good line, is it? There's a girl in a primary school. But anyway, no. She knew me. <laughs> she knew me. She knew me from primary school. So, um, basically, the police obviously got me months later and they were like, right, tell us who your mates are. One described me as a black top, white shirt. The other thing thing was, we were both five foot eight, stocky build. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I thought, I can't do that. I'll have to leave middles before I do that. So, my solicitor said to me, go guilty, you'll get six to nine months. And I went guilty and got 18 months. But I was a young kid. You know, if, if anything like that was going to happen... Well, if you didn't do it, why didn't you go not guilty? Uh, well, I did, but it was... it was He was a big guy, and um, he was punching back at me. You know, it was like... It was um, it was in the papers and everything. It was Northern Echo and all that, and... You know, at the time, I was I was just a young kid, and... So what was your conviction? Uh, like, Section 18, like... There were no weapons or nothing involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was... Just boxing. Um, and, yeah, do you know something, though? At the time, there was, um, in EastEnders, there was Matthew Rose and Steve that killed Saskia. And I was only 19. And they went to prison, or Matthew did, if anyone remember EastEnders. And I remember, like, getting sent down the first couple of days thinking, this is cool, this. I'm like, Matthew and EastEnders. And, uh, and after a couple of days, I thought, this is shit. Do you know what I mean? And obviously I had nine months to do. Did you actually think I might meet you in it? <laughs> just, uh, just young lad. But, do you know, I'd never been in trouble before. I was just full of drink and, you know, like, yeah, it was just, it's embarrassing, but everyone makes mistakes, don't they? And, uh, yeah, you know, I'd rather that happen when I was, like, 19. There's nothing wrong with going out having a yeah. few beers and getting into a battle when you're younger. Fucking hell. I used to do doorman for fun. Yeah. So every week I'm just getting messages. Where's Wildman's book? When's Wildman gonna have a book? I look mm. at all the Wildman videos on YouTube, of which there's over a hundred, and the playlist is in the description box below this video if you want to check that. Out if you're watching this, comments. Why is it Wildman got a book out yet? Where's the Wildman movie? Mm. So something's happening. It is. It's um, James English sent me the week. Who I daily love. I think the world of him. Great man. And uh, you're a big shagger. And uh, so anyway, that's James, by the way. So he said to me, Jamie, he said, you've completed Middlesbrough. You know, kind of 17, I've got now 18, 17. Anyway, and uh, I think about nine of them, <sighs> 10 of them have been from Middlesbrough. So I want to get away. And um, I, I like kind of odd, strange characters. I like bizarre, you know, it's like... It's Thank like, you, Jerry. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I mean I mean that as a compliment. You know, it's like yeah, it's like I slept rough in um Edinburgh sixteen four years ago. I went out on my, I'm not allowed to go out on my own because I'm a bit I'm not like I've just a bit I never stopped drinking, do you know what I mean? So I, I wake up and anyway, I woke up uh, homeless slept rough in Edinburgh train station. I, I remember Bradley Bradley Welsh, God rest him, tri- uh, got a film for train spotting. So I don't go out, but um I do like to um I've always been fascinated. Sorry, that was a story. I ended up sleeping in rough. I had money on me, but rather than 
going to hotels and all that, I just spent the night slumming it with the down and out. No wrong with that, man. That's and, uh, the best way to do it. What are you trying it? to say about Wildman? <laughs> so, <laughs> do you, you know, it's it. like if someone says to me, don't talk to him because he's a weirdo. I'll go talk to him for yeah. a thing he'll do. I, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated <laughs> by... Paul Sykes, you know, the, the bizarre, the unhinged, <laughs> the black sheeps of the, you know, and the people who are just utterly insane, bonkers, you know, I'm ravaged with, um, you know, I've dep depression, I've been on tablets in my life where they've knocked a horse out and, uh, you know, I've seen things and shit like that, do you know what I mean? And um, so it's, you know, I always like... Everything anyone knows me, humour's in my life, and that's the way to deal with getting way through life. And uh, I just like to relate to different people. So I was talking about you last night, actually, to Neil Boover. Was um, you're going to enjoy my story, Duffy, then, Duffy's best friend, and he was he was ringing me at one o'clock last night, going, "Jamie, fucking hell, it's Sammy Graziano story," and he he did all the meth and all that, and I was like, I like really crazy mental bastards. Do you know what I mean? And it's like. You know, it's, uh, I, I, and you've got, a, there's two things that I need in a book. One, it has to sell. And two, I've got to like him. I've got to get a good energy off him. Yeah. And uh, I've been asked to do like actors, um, bare knuckle fighters, footballers, boxers. And I've never, I, I have knocked back a lot and I'll give them to people. Um, but you, you listen, you've got a platform that can be rivaled. I mean, I've just done Steve Rafe's book. He's got 40,000 followers on um, on Twitter. And, you know, you've got, I think last time I looked, 465,000 views. That doesn't include Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I've read the comments on you, Wild Man, and you're iconic. I've seen people wearing your shirts. <laughs> I appreciate that. Do you know what I, I mean? I don't look at myself that way. We go out to the Indian last night, two tables of people. Like, is that Wellman? Is that Wellman? Two photographs, yeah. I, I don't, I'm humbled by that because I don't see myself as that. Yeah, and I put something on my page, Jamie Boyle, for filmmaker, the other day. And if you could log on, I will do. there's like, there's comments. There's like 50 likes and there's loads of comments. <laughs> oh, he's mental him and all that. And, and you know, what... What was your story? What you know when you ended up giving the drugs to look after? You ended up doing it all, and you'd you'd come home for three days without shoes on. You didn't know where you'd been. You just get into fights, and you know, you, to be honest, you were your own worst enemy at times. Oh yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean? I've got I've got I've got more stories too. Like, yeah. I, I've kept I've kept some away from the pot. Done the first hundred with podcasts, but I thought to myself, better keep a few back for a book. You know what I mean? Well, as I said, you are going to be my gift to the world, and then. Um, you know, it's people are really because they like you. Listen, you get your trolls. I'm, I'll get my trolls after this. Um, you know what? But that's life, isn't it? And uh, anything in life worth doing doesn't come easy. Yeah, trolls can suck my dick. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it, it is. I've just sat back and I spoke to my publisher last night about it, and I said, listen, you know, and I, I don't know whether we go with you, whatever, Sean, you're going to do the forward and you're, you're going to publish. But I said, what a story and. You'll get out there because people want to know. You know, you were sat there one minute and you'd be smoking crack. I'm not saying it's good, and then you'd be smoking cannabis, and then just like people are having cups of tea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You did loads of no mental things, like you know, Noel Gallagher got in trouble about 20 years back uh, for saying taking ecstasy was as normal as drinking a cup of tea. But you were literally like that. 
Oh, dangle people off the fucking balconies and shit. It's fucking burnt several houses down. Accidentally. Yeah. Accidentally. <laughs> the houses, houses that he lived in. <laughs> yeah, I was actually in him as well, though, you know what I mean? It was a 50-50. I picked him up one day and he's, he says, come, come and pick me up. La, I said, what, what's happened? He's all, I appreciate just, that. Yeah, just, just, just come and pick me up. You can see when you get here. Get there. There's a street with all these fire engines on it. Wild man sat on a wall, just covered in soot. His whole mm. face is just blackened from this the smoke. Just he's just escaped from his own place. Basically, yeah. he would have been burnt alive. Mm. But you mentioned about people contacting you to write books, sports people, boxers, blah blah blah, whatever. The thing about Wildman is, compared to them, they're all boring bastards. Yeah. I mean, during this lockdown, I've not been around him for three months. Mm. Get back around him. Mm. I'm just fucking laughing non-stop yeah. all day long. In this podcast room, you know, I'm quite serious, sensible. Mm. Wild man, every, he just fucking breaks the ice. Every mm. fucking 10 minutes, there's just something comes out of his mouth that ch mm. completely changes the energy in the room. And makes it humorous. <laughs> and it's that like ability factor, the charisma. Mm. And it's just non-stop with him. You spend these days with him. And My he, wife loves him, and she, the only reason she's not here today is because she's proofreading for me. <sighs> but she sent me a message, sent me a picture last night, and she was like, she, the only reason she never sent me a phone, because I'll show you, is because I'd share it. But that picture of Wildman, where you've got hair like that. Oh, yeah. yeah picture of my wife, exact hair like that, and it's like, you just look identical. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you tonight, but I'm going to send it to you. It's classic, She'll divorce me if, uh, if I share it. But listen, do you know when I do the books on... Paul Sykes allegedly raping people in prison. Uh, Lee Duffy owning a town. Uh, this ain't your they, opinion. This is just facts. Yeah. Listen, you know, people are people are just like, oh, my God. Their book that I call Monster Books, where I've done the books, right? And um, I'm not going to name any boxers, but I've sat in front of boxers and I really respect and they're like, oh, yeah. I had a nice ten week camp and training's gone, but I'm like, who gives a shit? Get yeah, me, yeah. get me nutters, get yeah. me mental bastards. You know, Ricky Gervais. I was watching him the week on Twitter, and he said, "You know what?" He said, "I'm surrounded by celebrities, right?" And it doesn't impress me. He said, "If someone tells me a story, right? Yeah, my uncle Dave is an alcoholic. Ricky Gervais, I'm in straight away. You've got me, drawn in. Uncle Dave is an alcoholic. He's mad as a box of frogs. Tell him, and I'm like that. I like mental, mental people." And, uh, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really got a weird, dark sense of humour, but that's what... I have too. I'm taking it all as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, that's what gets me through life. I don't harm anyone. I'm not racist. I'm not homophobic. I'm not... I've got my own little world. Do you know what I mean? And I just... We all do. We've all got our own issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm not racist Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I just... Before I got married... I'm, I'm making a living from my family. I love Thailand. He's... Yeah. But, um... And Native American trends as well, you were yeah, quite popular with. I, I wasn't asked which. But um, <laughs> now, now I'm married. and um, I wouldn't let him do anything to me. I just mm. like to be around him, to yeah. intrigue me. Yeah, I like different different people, you know, and I like to know their story. I like to understand people. Most nights I'll sit into bed every night and I'll watch Jack the Ripper documentaries. Get into bed. Talk about Jack the Ripper. If he'd really, if Sean had actually opened up and stopped being sensible for a while, you'd love some of his stories. Mm. But he, he likes to like sort of 
be the serious man. Mm. But I've got some crazy stories about. I know you have. I've sat, I've sat and watched podcasts. in your audience. My my life is an open book, lad. Mm. A trilogy, actually. He says that, but if I say anything, <laughs> he has to final edit. Time Hillary. stamp. Time stamp. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching? Uh, I've I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's. I work harder now than I did when I was doing 50 hours a week. And then, um, you know, I said to Steve Rafe the other week, you know, I've got a plan I've got a, in the next five years. Obviously, I need that sorting out. But, um, I, you know, I want to be... I wouldn't worry about it. Unless it's actually hurting, you wouldn't worry about it. But the, the operation I need is horrific. It's monstrous. Is it? Yeah. It, it's, I was raw for five weeks. My nose was bleeding and I can't go through it again. I've got a bad phobia. I've fucked my nose up fucking in, in America fighting and shit yeah. in several places but, um, it goes everywhere yeah I just want to get really really busy and um, you know I'm, I'm constantly in so three hours last night and he wants to get really busy I know yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I want to be out there in films documentaries writing and you know you got to keep your health too though be telling yeah. sure miss yeah you got you balanced mm. you got to balance I think a healthy balance really is eight hours sleep eight hours work Eight hours drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, and it's like, I've got 17... And that's not tea, that's alcohol. <laughs> 17 Amazon books, two documentaries, um, and I don't know, hopefully God spares me, I've got 100 books in me. What we called Amazon, we called Jamie Boyle. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been really busy. I've been really busy in the last three years, and, you know, I've locked myself away and just basically... Pop my, roll my sleeves up, heads down, and um, you know, just thought, you know what, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna have a go at this. Knuckle down. If I don't succeed, I can go and get a job, at anything. You know what I mean? I always, I'm always providing for my family, but you know, at least I've given it a good go. Do you know what I mean? But so what I'll do is, um, at the bottom of these videos, I'm gonna put a link to your Amazon page mm -hmm. that's got all your books on it. Yeah. So if anyone out there wants to check his books out. There's going to be an Amazon.com for the US audience to buy his books, and there's an Amazon UK. So you can see his page, all his books, one click away, right there like that. And on social media then, where are you? We'll put all those links in as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, Twitter, at JamieBoyle10. Uh, Facebook is author forward slash filmmaker. And um, Instagram is just JamieBoyleBooks. If people want to message you, what's your preferred platform? Uh any any of them three. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, that's it. Alright then, so please let us know what you thought of this video in the comments. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logo is in the bottom right hand corner. Huge thank you to people who donated so we could do these productions in studios. I would all like links. an extra twenty trolls, please. <laughs> <laughs> all the links are in the description box. As well as all the other true crime podcasts. Joe Rogan though said he doesn't read them. Do you know what I mean? And it's it says like, it's a sewer. It doesn't said, read it, yeah, it's a sewer. Yeah, do you know what? Brian Cockle said something to me the week and I, I thought, do you know what, Brian, you're right. He said, do you know what, Jamie? Sometimes, I mean, I mean, I suppose it is really. I'm not narcissistic. I'll read the bad comments. <laughs> but uh, do you know what? You, I prefer that myself. He said, he said, though, do you know what? It's no point, right? You can read 25 good ones and then people will say, oh, fucking fat lesbian. He can't, he's got a nose problem and all that. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm down and all that. And, you know, and it's like, where you should just, 
forget about it. Do you know what I mean? And there'll be, there'll be no doubt. That's a nice comment. Yeah, I get a fat, ugly twat. Never well, mind. I get Mars bar kid, but now I get Mars bar kid. Yeah, <laughs> and now I get lesbian. But obviously, I've had, I've had stuff. People say to me, I'm praying for you to get AIDS. I hope you get cancer and. I'm gonna get your wife and all that. And, no, Dad. Once you've been wife and that shit into it, I'll, I'll find where you live. But like fucking me, I'm open game trolls. Fucking say what the fucking hell you want about me? I love yeah. it. Love it. Thank you for increasing interest in the videos, trolls. Thank you for coming on, Jamie. Man, well, give pleasure. us a hug. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, brilliant. It takes three minutes to get up. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. It's a pleasure, mate.